Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. Greetings. Welcome to Pentecost Sermon 2017 in the year of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The holy day of Jesus. The day the Pentecostals forgot. <laughs> but praise Jesus that we've not forgotten his commandments, his days, the holidays of our kingdom the holidays of our King, of our Lord, our God, holidays of our government, that one of these days is going to take over this world. And there will be no end of that kingdom. Pentecost represents, among other things, the first resurrection, which also, to us, will be the first day in the fullness of the kingdom that will be turned to spirit, shed our snakeskin, so to speak, shed our flesh, be delivered, be freed from the bondage of the corruption of this flesh. The wonderful day, the 50th day after Jesus rose from the dead. Amen. The day that the church was empowered from on high, the day the church received the promise, the day of empowerment. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's get into some worship music. And uh, it is thundering. And uh, so uh, you may hear some thunder. You may hear some rain, maybe, maybe, later on on the tin roof of the pavilion because we're having services outdoors under a pavilion today. And and uh, so if you hear a lot of uh, beating and thundering and you know, whatever you might hear, you understand we might be in the middle of a thunderstorm. And I would just talk over and above the lightning and thunder. Okay? So praise the Lord. Let's start page number one of the New American Standard New American Standards, page 1. If we profess our sins, this is taken out of 1 John, chapter 1. 1 John, chapter 1, verse 9.
page number two is taken from Colossians chapter three. Page number two, Colossians chapter three, verses one through four. Since then that you have been raised with Christ. Since this day represents us being raised with Christ. Thank you. 
Amen. Preserve him this day. Let your hearts be steadfast. Amen. This is only the beginning. We are the first fruit. But there will be more to come to Jesus Christ. We are the first ones of our families, of our communities. We are the first fruit. And many of us just came up recently. But there are going to be others to follow. There will be others. Jesus and the 12 disciples out of all Jerusalem, a bustling town. But then there were 70s. And then there were hundreds and thousands. And Pentecost represents empowerment and multiplication of souls. Multiplication of the truth. Empowerment from on high. To give us power to go forth and to witness to all nations. Baptizing us. That's what Jesus said to do. Teach them. And my name. Baptize them. My name. Amen. Praise God. Now today, I'm going to talk about something. It's a really interesting topic. A lot of people are interested in this. And a lot of people have asked me about this. But some of the things I'm going to say will challenge you, as usual. Amen. As you. And as usual, I may lose people that will never listen to me again, but I cannot go by whether they will continue to listen or not listen. I cannot go by. I have talked with Jesus about this and talked with Jesus about this and talked with Jesus about this. And he has not told me. Do not say this. Do not go forward with this. I've asked him about other things other sermons, other topics, other activities. And he says, no, don't do it. Don't go there. Don't say it. But I've asked him about this, and he has not said no. And as always, I encourage you to test what I say today with the Holy Scripture and with prayer, and with fasting. If you do not agree, don't jump to a conclusion that it cannot be right just because you disagree. But test it with a continuation of days, weeks, if necessary, and months of prayer and occasional fast. Amen. The topic today is the two witnesses. And it is an important topic because it is something that's going to happen in our lives. And it's written for our edification. It is written because God wants us to know about 
this about the two witnesses. It's not written in vain. It's written that we may be informed, educated, gain the knowledge that he wants us to have. Not secret knowledge. It's right here in the Bible. It's not secret knowledge. All we got to do is open up and read it, pray about it, fast about it, grow in the spirit that we can understand. So lots of people are looking for the two witnesses. They're looking. They're searching the Internet. I've searched the Internet. Where are they? Who are they? And how are we going to recognize them? There's a lot of people out there that are claiming to be the two witnesses. I do not claim to be the two witnesses or one of the two witnesses. But there are a lot of people who claim to be the two witnesses. A lot of people. And blow your mind how many people. And they have followers. And people are looking for the true two witnesses. How will we know the true two witnesses? How and when and where? In Revelation chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Then it was given to me, this is John talking, given to me a measuring rod, like a staff, and someone said, get up. And that Greek word means to rise from the dead. It doesn't always mean rise from the dead. It can also mean just get up out of your chair. So it has to be translated according to the context. As I say on the website, and as I've said many times before, if you go back and read all of chapter 10 and all of chapter 11 after this verse, so like 11 verses before and 20-some verses after, the context is the seventh trumpet. The whole context is the first resurrection, the seventh trumpet. So considering the context, it should be translated rise as in rising from the dead. When this happens, it's an end time. And John is told to rise. Even as the two witnesses later in this chapter are told to rise, Jesus uses the same word for the two witnesses, rise, as he does John right here. John is told to rise, come forth, Lazarus, rise from the dead. And then to go and measure the temple of God, which is not anything on the temple mount, but to rise into heaven at the first resurrection, which this day represents, and measure the temple of God in heaven and those that worship therein. There are no humans worshiping in heaven. The dead cannot praise God. Those angels worshiping in heaven. But considering the context of Sabbath trumpets, that's talking about people in heaven. Measure the temple and the altars and even number how many people are in heaven. There's two, but leave out the course which is without or outside the temple and do not measure it. That part there, verse 2, is talking about the temple mount. 
So it's measure what's going on in heaven and don't measure the court. The three words for court there in that verse is talking about a location of land without a wall, without a building, without a temple. Verse 1 is talking about a temple in heaven. Verse 2 is talking about land with no temple. Amen. Because, verse 2, it's been given to the nations, the Gentiles, and it's being shared underfoot. The temple of God is not given to the Gentiles in heaven. Of course, Gentiles can enter into it once they become Jews, spiritually. But the court on earth, the Father's temple, is given to the Russians, to the Iranians, to the Syrians, to the Chinese, as we read in Ezekiel 38, God and Magog, including Persia, Iran. So, verse 2 says that that land is given to the nations, the Gentiles, and they were tread underfoot, a military term, tread underfoot, the holy city, Jerusalem. For how long? Seven years? No. Forty-two months. Five months, like some people are teaching? No. Forty-two months. That 42 months will not be cut short. Because if it's cut short, then you might as well take an ink pen and just mark out this where it says 42 months and mark out where it says a time and a time and a half time and mark out where it says 1,260 days just because you prefer the one verse in Matthew 24 over and above all the other verses. Amen? This verse will not be cut out of the Bible. Not one jot, not one tittle to be removed from this. From the Bible, yes, but not from the Word of God. This will be fulfilled. Amen. Praise Jesus. Verse 3. And I, says Jesus, will grant, give to, to my two witnesses, not three, not four, not a thousand, like some people are teaching, not millions, what some people are teaching, the two witnesses are two men, not a million men, not the whole church like a lot of people are teaching, but to my two witnesses. And they will prophesy. They will be prophets. They will be messengers of fear of Jesus Christ. And how long will they prophesy? For 1,260 days. That's the same amount of time as what it had said before in the previous verse, that the Gentiles will be in control of Jerusalem. But what Babylon has taught you to do is to add verse 2 and add verse 3 together to get seven years. That's what they do. Where does it say add these two together? And where does it say that these are two different time frames? It's Hogwarts. It's the same time. Same time. Same 42 months. Amen. Three and a half years. Clothed in sackcloth. I believe that's talking spiritual. And as we continue to read, you will see why I believe that that is not literal, but spiritual as we continue to read. Verse 4. These are the two olive trees. Is that literal or is that spiritual? 
is spiritual. Two olive trees is symbolic. So I firmly believe that the sackcloth is also symbolic. And there are two lampstands. Symbolic language after symbolic language after symbolic language. Go with the concept. Amen? Don't jump out of the context. So it's symbolic. And they stand before the Lord of the earth, which means that they listen to God. It means that they hear the voice of God, that they approach the altar of God on their knees here on earth. It's not talking about that they're actually in heaven. Some people take this and say they're angels because they're at the altar of God, or that they're Moses and Elijah in heaven because they're at the altar of God. But they die later in this chapter. They die in this chapter. So they're not angels. Although angels can die, the fallen angels will die in the lake of fire. But these are not fallen angels. Right? And good angels will not die. These people die. So they're humans. Amen? Amen. So then, says here, verse 5, if anyone wants to harm them, fire comes out of their mouth. Remember, symbolic language, symbolic language, symbolic language. Don't jump out of the context. So this is also symbolic language. Now, I'm not going to turn there right now, but you can write it down in your notes, whatever. Keep it in your mind that Jeremiah 5, verse 14, says that that God had put fire in the mouth of Jeremiah to consume those that he talked to. It's talking about the word of God. It's symbolic language. Amen. Mm-hmm. Praise the Lord. So, fire comes out of the mouth, which is symbolic for the word of God, because it's not only a sharp sword, but it's flaming fire. Amen. Keep coals on their heads. Amen. And it devours their enemies. Now, this is where it does get physical, because these people die. These people are going to die, even as the Bible also says, in the end of Revelation 19, as well as uh, some other places in the Bible, that that Jesus, a sharp-sword sword at the Battle of Armageddon, the sharp-sword sword comes out of his mouth <clears throat> and slays the wicked, and that he will consume the Antichrist, the son of perdition, with the breath of his mouth. So when you're talking about the wicked being consumed, that is little. That the wicked will literally be consumed. Because we have scriptures to confirm that, so it's not jumping to conclusion that that part is literal, because we have many verses to back up that the wicked will be consumed. So the fire of God, symbolically the word of God, will literally kill these people. And it says here, so, uh, so that if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. It's not talking about spiritually killing these people. It's talking about physically killing these people by the voice of their mouth, by the word of God. Verse 6, these have the power, the power, super power, 
superpower to shut up the sky so that the rain will not fall during the day. Where, where are they right now? That's okay. It's not raining that bad. So where is it? It won't rain. Remember, Elijah prayed, and it did not rain for how long? Three and a half years. So Elijah was a foreshadowing of the two witnesses. Amen? Because it did not rain for three and a half years. It's not going to rain for three and a half years in Jerusalem. So that the rain will not fall. During the days of the prophesying, how long did they prophesy? We just read it. 1,260 days. It's not going to rain in Jerusalem three and a half years. When people see that prophecy fulfilled and read this, they're going to be, wow, the Bible is true. People are going to start getting saved. They're going to see the Bible being fulfilled. Why is it not going to rain three and a half years in Jerusalem? Because these men, humans, with superpower of the Holy Ghost, will say it with the word of their mouth, and it will happen. Amen. God uses man. Hey, Moses was just a regular man. That's all Moses. We make a lot of people make Moses out to be like God. He was just a normal man with toe jam between his within his sandals. He just had toe jam between his toes just like we do. Amen? They people act like, you know, they make Paul or Peter, especially Peter, out to be like God. Hey, they had faults, they had sin. Paul wrestled with sin in Romans 8, no, Romans 7. He wrestled with sin and he beat himself up in Romans 7. Paul did have sin in his life. Read Romans 7. The prophets of God are not perfect men. They're just men, but called. Just men, but called. And it says here that they also have power over the waters to turn into blood. What did Moses do? Turn the water to blood, one of the ten plagues upon Egypt. Moses is just a man. These two witnesses will be just men with toe jam between their toes. Basically saying that the ground will be dry and all the dust and everything. So I know I get. Thank you for your patience with me. So then, and to strike the earth with every plague like the ten plagues, as often as God desires? No. They desire. It'll be up to these two men what they want to do. Everybody is always, I wait on the Lord, I wait on the Lord. I cannot do nothing. I cannot wash my hands without God telling me to wash my hands. God wants us to grow up. I heard a preacher one time say, and I'll never forget it, this side of earth, that morning before church services, he was in his closet picking out his church clothes for the sermon that day. And he's like, Father, what should I wear to church today? And the Father said to him, 
I'm your father, not your mama. You can pick out your own clothes. And God wants us to grow up and use wisdom, use common sense, use the gifts that God has given you, and make the best decisions that you can make. What to do for God? As you feel led, but it won't always be do this, do that. It won't always be do this, do that, ever back and command. Sometimes you're going to have to step out in faith and walk on the water without being told to. Amen. So they're going to strike plagues upon the earth as often as they will. And verse 7, when they have finished their testimony, which means they will complete the 1260 days. They're going to finish their testimony. They're witnessing. They're prophesying. They're ministry. The beast, Assad, that comes or came up out of the abyss, the bottomless pit, meaning that he is a fallen angel, will make war with them. Now, of course, he's going to be fussing and fighting with them the whole time. But at the end of the 1260 will be a specific event of a battle against the two witnesses and overcome them and kill them. It should say murder there. Go murder the two witnesses. They would die. Oh, they gotta protect me, gotta protect me, gotta protect me, gotta protect me. Well, he might not. Some people have to die. Gotta protect some people. Absolutely. But some people are going to have to start facing the reality that they're going to have to die and get ready for it so that you can face it with boldness and courage. And there's eight, their dead bodies, flesh and blood bodies, will lie in the street of the great city, which is symbolically, is what it should say here, symbolically called Solomon which means that Jerusalem is full of homosexuality. Amen? I've seen, I don't know, a couple years ago, that Jerusalem was declared by a gay magazine as being the most gay-friendly city in the world. Jerusalem, the holy city, as gay-friendly as San Francisco and New York and Los Angeles. Jerusalem deserves to get invaded. Israel deserves to get invaded. And they will be, for God is just. And symbolically called Egypt. Because they're worshiping the Egyptian gods, the white name, and the Assyrian gods, which are the same gods that Egypt worships. And all of that Babylonian symbolism and everything that Egypt has. We're also 
their Lord was crucified, or our Lord, it should say, was crucified. So it's talking about Jerusalem. Verse 9, those from the peoples and the tribes and the tongues and the nations will look at their dead bodies. So this looks like there will be electricity or Internet, which you have to have electric to have Internet. One way or another, through TV, Internet, whatever way it's going to be, people of different na- nations, people of different nations will be able to see these two men lying dead. You know what's going to be across the screen of the TV and what the news reporter's going to say? This proves that God is God because he won. That's what they're going to say on TV and radio. This proves that the two witnesses were false prophets. They're dead. This proves they are false prophets. And now God is the true God. This is exactly what they're going to say. And how will the world respond? With sadness? Will the world mourn for the true men of God? No. The world will not mourn for these two men of God. Verse 10. Of course, verse 9. They won't let them bury them. They won't let their, their, their dead bodies were lay in the street for three and a half days, will not permit their dead bodies to be laid in the tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate, and they will send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. These are not going to be Joel Osteen type of preachers. These men are going to offend you. These men are going to offend your family, your friends, your community, and the majority of people on earth. They will speak bold and very offensive and will not apologize for it. Amen. That is what we need. That is what we need more than ever before in all of human history. Amen. And the people would say, now we can keep Christmas. Now we can do Easter. Now we can get away with things. These men have been removed. Who tormented us with all these plagues? They won't repent. But keep in mind that there will be millions that will repent. A great multitude that no one can number but there will also be millions and millions and millions that will not repent. In verse 11, for after three and a half days, the breath, the breath of life, that's God, the breath of life, 
from God, came into them, breathed into Adam, and he became a living soul. And they stood on their feet, and great fear fell upon those who were watching them. And they heard a loud voice, not a gentle, soft voice, but a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here, rise from the dead. Come up here. Which proves that Jesus did not land on that day. Come up here. And they went up into heaven in the clouds. And their enemies watched them. And in that hour, that same hour, there was a great earthquake. Don't you hate however you see on these websites there was a 3.0 today. There was a 2.5 today. I cannot stand that. There's going to be a great earthquake. And the tent of the city of Jerusalem fell. Holy Jerusalem. Camp for the city of abominable Jerusalem will fall. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the fields of heaven. The second woe is past. The whole third woe is coming quickly. The seventh angel sounded, and there was a loud voice in heaven. Now, the seventh angel did not sound after verse 11 and 12. It sounded at the same time as verse 11 and 12. But the Bible gives details, and you can't fit 100 details in one verse. So you have to spread it out through many verses. Are they going to rise with no trumpet? The dead in Christ shall rise first. And those that remain shall rise with them and meet them in the air. Not the next day, not a week later, not a month later, not a year later, that same moment, but a few seconds later. Only a few seconds later because the dead in Christ, the two witnesses, and the other dead in Christ who were beheaded for not submitting to Islam, they will rise. And then us who remain to survive the great tribulation will then rise to meet him and to meet our Lord in the air for the marriage supper of the Lamb of God. Amen. Again, all chapter 10, all chapter 11 tells you about the seventh trumpet, that first resurrection which this day represents, and how it gets there. And, the, and all the details of it through two chapters of detail. Look at verse 19. Jump there for a second. Verse 19. And the temple of God, which was on the temple mount? No. The temple of God in heaven was woken. You never see that word temple of God on the temple mount or the temple of God in Jerusalem or the temple of God on earth. You never see that after 70 A.D. 
the temple of God, and it doesn't say one of the temples of God, but it says the temple of God. There's only one temple of God when Jesus comes back, the one that's in heaven. And it was Wolfen. The Ark of the Covenant appeared in his temple. And there was flashes of lightning and sounds of frills of thunder and earthquakes and great hailstorms. Praise Jesus. Our God is an awesome God. A fearful God. A God of fire. A consuming fire. A jealous God. Is coming back with great wrath. A God that took whips and whips the people, chased the people out of the temple when it still stood on earth. And Jesus said, not one stone will be left here on top of another. They didn't say it's going to be rebuilt. Never said it's going to be rebuilt. So we're talking about the two witnesses today. Where are they going to be? New York City? No. San Francisco? No. China? No. They're going to be in Jerusalem. You see all these websites saying, I'm the two witnesses and I live in Texas. I've seen that. And people fall for it. How can anybody fall for that if they read this chapter? And are we in that last three and a half years yet? I don't see the water turning to blood. I don't see that Jerusalem is having a drought of three and a half years. In fact, they had floods recently. So, we're not in that three and a half years yet, even though some people say we are in it. So how will you know the two witnesses, the real true witnesses, the ones that Revelation 11 talks about? They're going to be in Jerusalem, and it's going to be after the invasion. And they're going to be known to not just a small group, but known to the world after they rise up and... uh, their evangelism and their, their ministry of prophesying. Now notice, they prophesy 1,260 days. They do not prophesy before that. They don't prophesy 7 years, 8 years, 9 years, 10 years, 11 years, 12 years, 50 years. They're not prophesying yet. They are not prophesying today. They're not. God gives them power to prophesy when the invasion happens. That's very, 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 very clear here. And not until then. Not until then. You can search and you can search and you can search and you can search. Like I have and like a lot of other people have all over the world. You're not going to find them until after the invasion. Because right now, 
They're not even the two witnesses. They're just men. And they're going to say just men. But after they receive power from on high to prophesy, they might not even be saved yet. Maybe. But after they receive power from on high to prophesy, it says, I will give power. Look at that verse. Verse 3. Verse 3, I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days. So I will grant. That means I will grant. It says authority. I need to look at the Greek words here a little bit more. Check out Alpha and Omega Bible. But it's very clear that they don't have it right now. They don't have it yet. They're going to get it. They're going to receive that power, that authority. Amen. Now, why are people searching and why have I searched for the two witnesses? Because people are people. And we need leadership. We do. God gave us pastors, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Because we need leadership. We need help. We need to hear true prophecy. And we need true doctrine. So a lot of people are looking for the two witnesses because they want help and guidance, assistance from somebody that knows what they're talking about because the whole world is deceived. And you can't find a church anywhere in your town, your community, your state, and hardly even your nation who's telling the truth. You can't find no one. You can look, you can look, you can look. You can go every church in town. Ain't nobody's telling the truth. The full truth. The people's like, well, these two men, they stand before the Lord of the earth. They know God. And they are a true prophet. We need them. We do. And that's why God is going to send them to help the church to bless the church, to edify the church, to lead the church. We do need those two men. We do need leadership. They needed Moses. God raised up a prophet among them. And his name was Moses. Amen. They needed Moses. And Aaron. And Aaron was his sidekick. Aaron stood with him and helped him and supported him most of the time. And Aaron held up his hand all night long. He was a good brother that night. He spoke for him with Pharaoh because Moses was somehow, in some way, not really good at speaking, whether it might be in stuttering, like some people theorized, or maybe just 
one thing or another, whatever it was, he needed Aaron's brotherly support. And God said, I will send Aaron with you to speak for you. And so Moses and Aaron was a foreshadowing of the Revelation 11 two witnesses. Moses and Aaron turned water to blood, brought the plagues upon Egypt. The last two witnesses were bring the plagues upon spiritual Egypt, Jerusalem, and probably the world. So there was previous foreshadowings. And let's look at Zechariah 4 now, because before you turn to Zechariah 4, look at in Revelation 11, again, Revelation 11, verse 4, that these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands. That directly points you to Zechariah 4. So let's go to Zechariah 4. If it points you to that chapter, you've got to go to that chapter. Amen? To Zechariah 4 which is near the end of the Old Testament, Zechariah 4, and verse 1. Jesus. Zechariah 4, just some people, time finished turning in. <clears throat> So after Haggai, if you know where that's at, <laughs> that helps you. I don't think that helps nobody. And then after, it's also right before Malachi. Now that ain't helped you. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. Right now it is. One time it was Daniel was the last book. And uh, so Zechariah is right before Malachi. Zechariah 4, verse 1. And the angel who was speaking with me, returned and arose, roused me as a man who is awakened from his sleep. He said to me, what do you see? And I said, I see and behold a lampstand. And remember, Revelation 11 said, these are the two lampstands and the two olive trees. So I see a lampstand, all of gold, and its bowl on the top of it, which holds the olive oil, and its seven lamps. It's a menorah. He sees a menorah. Now, remember in Revelation 2 that John saw, or Revelation 1 and 2, John saw a menorah, the seven candlesticks. Those, can, those seven candlesticks represent what? The seven churches, which don't represent only seven congregations in the Middle East that represent seven periods of the church system, the real church, the true church system throughout mankind from Pentecost from Jesus' day until Jesus comes. Seven time periods. Why do I know seven time periods and not just the seven towns? Because if you read the last of the book of Revelation, it says, that I sent my angel to testify to the churches. And so the whole book of Revelation is to the seven churches. 
And But who is the book of Revelation to? Just to those towns lived 2,000 years ago, and all those people are dead. And it was just for those seven congregations 2,000 years ago, for those dead people that no longer can even remember what they read. They're dead. And the Bible says they don't have memory anymore. There's no remembrance of them. They have no even not even a reward. It's for us. Amen? It's for us. The book of Revelation was written for the people that will see it being fulfilled. So we know what's going on. So we don't have to be ignorant. We know what's going on. So here in this verse in Zechariah 4, verse 2, lampstands, the menorah, is, is symbolism for the church, for you. And me, this symbolism for us, the church. And it's seven lamps on it with seven spouts belonging to each of the lamps which are on top of it and two olive trees. Now, olive tree is the source of the olive oil. It's where you get your olives from. Then you'd have to get oil from it and put it in your lamps. Uh, Matthew 25, that you have to get the oil for your lamp for the end time, for the midnight hour talking to us, the end-time church, the seventh final era of the church of this life. So also the two olive trees, verse 3, by it. So these olive trees are feeding the Holy Ghost to the church. So that you got spouts. And the oil of God, the Holy Ghost, represented by Pentecost, is being poured upon the church. Amen. Now that Holy Ghost would be poured out all the time, all the way from Jesus saying, uh, what breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. For the first church of Ephesians. I believe that might have been the first church or the second church or the third church. That one of the churches of that time. All the way down to the church of Laodicea today. We're in the church of Laodicea now. Church is lukewarm, proudful, spiritually naked, don't know that they're spiritually naked, thinking they're spiritually rich, thinking they know it all, and they don't know nothing. Amen. So verse 3, the two olive trees lie at one on the right side of the bow and the other on the left. Verse 4, then I said to the angel who was speaking with me, saying, what are these, my Lord? So the angel was speaking with me and said to me, do you not know that these are? And I said, no, my Lord. And he said to me, this is the word of Jesus to uh, Zerubbabel. I can't, I don't know how you pronounce it. Zerubbabel. And saying, not by might, nor by power, talking about not by physical muscles, not talking, you know, saying not by your own carnal physical strength, but by my spirit, my breath. By my wind. Remember the wind that came in the uh, uh, upper room on Pentecost? By my wind, by my breath, by my word, by my energy, by my strength, by my word, by the strength of God, by the Holy Ghost. Say of Jesus. This is Jesus talking. By my spirit, by my ghost, says Jesus of multitudes, of all creation, of hosts. Verse 7, what are you, Zarabal? What are you, O great mountain? 
before Zarabal, you would become a plane. And you would be uh, bringing forth from the top stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Now, there was two men. If you keep reading, if you read all the way from the beginning of uh, this book of the Bible, Zechariah, and read several chapters. You have to read several chapters to get the whole context here. There was two men. One of them, the Bible, the way it's written, in New American Standard and King James says Joshua. But it was not Joshua because there was no Shua sound in Paleo-Hebrew. There was no such thing as a Shua sound. You can't say Yahshua or Joshua because there was no such sound in Paleo-Hebrew. So, and this was not talking about the Joshua that we know of from that new Moses and Aaron. It's not talking about that Joshua. It's talking about a uh, uh, Shia, I don't know how you would really pronounce it, Jeshia, Jeshia, that lived in this day and the time of Zechariah many hundreds of years later, perhaps a thousand years later, however many years it was later. Different, totally different generation. So not the Joshua of the book of Joshua. Entirely different man. Now, this particular Joshua and uh, Zerubbabel, Joshua was the priest of the second temple. He was the priest of the second temple. And Zerubbabel was the governor of Judah during that time. So one was a religious figure and the other was a political ruler. He was the governor of Judah underneath the Persian Empire. So these two men were a foreshadowing. They're dead. They are ashes in the ground. These are not the actual true witnesses, true witnesses, but they were foreshadowings, just as Moses was and Aaron was and Elijah was and Elisha and John the Baptist was. So you got throughout time different two witnesses, different foreshadowings that were laid up to. God has always used man. God has always chosen among his children, rise up my son and lead my people. He has always chosen one of his sons and said, lead my people out of Egypt. Lead my people in your second temple. Lead my people. Because the people need leadership. The people act for a human king. People need to see a flesh and blood preacher. They need it because people are physically minded and physically sight oriented. So, God has been doing this in different generations. He has not changed. God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's raising up men of different generations. Let's look at a generation that you probably don't realize was a in the seat of Moses. Matthew twenty three. 
Matthew chapter 23 now, verse 1. Matthew 23, verse 1. Matthew 23, verse 1, And Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees. Group number one, group number two, two witnesses, have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do. And observe, Romans tells you, and 1 Peter tells you, to submit yourself to the authority of man, because there's no authority on earth that is not of God. God has instituted, ordained, brought to power Nebuchadnezzar, the Persian king that brought about the second temple, even though they were heathens. God brought about the Roman Empire. God brought about Obama and Trump. God is in charge. And God tells us to submit ourselves. And even though the Pharisees and the scribes were pagans and legalistic and hypocrites, Jesus called them hypocrites straight to their face, which was extremely offensive. Extremely offensive. But he told us, or them people, those people that was alive at that time, to submit themselves to the Pharisees. Says so right here. Let's read this again in verse 3. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, their actions, for they say things and do not do them. They were hypocrites. But he told them to do what they tell you to do because they were seated in the seat of Moses. Moses was the prophet of God, the spokesman for God. The Pharisees took the seat of Moses. So did Joshua, Aaron, Elijah, Elisha, and John the Baptist. Let's go to Malachi 4, last book of the Old Testament, just a few pages to your left. Malachi 4, last chapter of the Old Testament. Malachi 4, verse 5. So see, we cannot pick and choose and say, I'm not going to obey the government just because they're wicked. You can't do that. If you're living for God, you have to submit yourself. It's all about committing yourself to God and the authorities. Malachi 4, 
verse 5, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah, Elias, is what it originally said, Elias, the prophet. There were prophets before Ephesians, before Paul. Moses was a prophet, and Elias was a prophet. And I will send you Elias, the prophet, before the coming of the great interpreter day of the Lord. Now this, this was written a long time after Elias was already lived and died. Elias had already lived and died by the time Malachi was written. So it's not talking about the real Elias, but it's talking about somebody that would take his seat, somebody that would take his office, somebody that would replace his administrative office as a representative, a spokesman for God, to the people, a human leader. I'm going to send you another person like Elijah, another person take his seat. Now, eventually, the Pharisees took that seat. But there's going to be another one, and there was another one. There are for different generations. God does not change. He always raises somebody of the different generations. Before, it says, before the uh, coming of the great interpret day of Jesus. Of Jesus. Of Jesus. And notice it's the Lord. We know what the all capital Lord represents is that that was added. But guess what? The word the also was added. It didn't say the something. It didn't say the YHWH or the Jehovah or the Lord, so they added two words here. But it said just a name, just Jesus. Jesus. Before the coming of Jesus. Before the great and terrible day of Jesus. It doesn't say before the coming, the kissing of Jesus and the gentleness of Jesus and the draw all scene of Jesus, but rather the great and terrible day of Jesus. He's coming back, not gentle. He is not coming back to shake hands. He's not coming back to be a polite, well-mannered, humbled, sheep. He, he came as a sheep, a lamb. He came as a lamb. He died. He played that role before. He ain't going to do it no more. He did that one time. He ain't going to do it no more. Coming back in anger, great anger. Amen. Verse 6, he will restore the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. How do you do that? Teach the commandments. The Bible says teach the commandments to your children and their children after that. That's how you do this. Teach the children the commandments of the Lord. Amen. And so, look at Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 13. Luke one thirteen, 
But the angel said to him, to John the Baptist's dad, the angel said to John the Baptist's dad before John was born, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, talking about John the Baptist, and you will give him the name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, for he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Ghost while yet in his mother's womb, and he will, or Holy Spirit, Holy Breath, while in his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. Back to the fathers, back to the children, children back to the fathers. So this was talking about John the Baptist. Look at verse 17, and he, it is he. The angel said, it is he who will go as a forerunner, a foreshadowing before him in the, in the spirit and the power of, in the spirit and power. It's not talking about reincarnation. It's not talking about Elijah coming from the dead. It is talking about somebody that comes in the office, in the authority of Elias to turn the children parts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Amen. So you had Moses and Aaron. You had uh, John the Baptizer. We won't even look at the scriptures about Elijah. You know, you know, Elijah prayed and it did not rain for three and a half years. She also was foreshadowing of the two witnesses. He was a prophet of God, a messenger of God. And Elisha, as his sidekick, Elisha, as his assistant, his brother and his friend. And, and what did Elias do? Elias, meaning Elijah, passed the torch, passed the baton to the next generation. Elias passed the torch to Elisha. Amen. So they pass torches to the next generation, to the next generation, to the next generation. Now, let's go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Ephesians 4, 11. Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he gave some as apostles, not everybody, and some as prophets throughout the different generations. Did it stop with Elias or John the Baptizer? It did not stop with John the Baptizer. Did it stop with Moses, I mean the uh, Pharisees? No. Paul was a prophet. Paul was a prophet. He talked about the strong delusion 
He was a prophet. He talked about the wrath of God and the coming of the Lord and all these things. He was a prophet. Paul had office. Paul was a leader of the church. But many people say Paul was the last one. Where do you read that in Scripture? You cannot read it in Scripture. It's not found in Scripture. Not true. The offices of apostle and prophet did not die out in the first century A.D. Did not happen. Because if you say, like a lot of people are teaching now, if you say that the apostles and prophets ended, and you no longer have any more apostles or prophets on the earth anymore after Paul, if you say that, or after John, if you say that, then you have to also say there's no more pastors. There's no more evangelists because you can't just take out two words here. You've got to take out this whole verse. You've got to take out this whole verse. You can't say that only one or two offices are done away with. And so he gave some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers, meaning deacons. In verse 12, why? Why did he appoint human leaders in these offices of ministration of the church? Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints. Equipping, let me give you equipment. Let me provide you with what you need to do the job. The equipping of the saints for the work of the service. It's to help the church to the building up of the body of Christ. For how long? Just for the first century A.D.? For how long? Verse 13. Until we all, until we all obtain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. There's a lot of words in this verse that talk about that have the meaning of completeness, fullness, totality. We are not there yet. The church did not get there in the first century or the second or the third century. We are not there yet. So it's not done away yet. To this very day, the need for this assistance is still there. That's why people are looking for the two witnesses. Because we have a need for the unity of the faith, for true doctrine, true leadership, true prophecy. We have this need for the body of Christ. This need still exists today. Verse 14, as a result, that we would be no longer children, trying to get people to grow up, trying to get people to be mature, and not just mature, but fully mature, to finish our race, as the two witnesses will finish their their testimony. No longer to be children tossed here and there, and what do children do? 
that their parents dressed them. But we got to grow up. And no longer tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. We have to have somebody to step in to say, uh, <clears throat> that website, <laughs> that website is leading you wrong. That doctrine is leading you wrong. We have to have somebody to step up and say, you're, you're too far to the left, you're too far to the right, you're taking this to the extreme, you're being too legalistic or you're being too liberal or you're not understanding this. We have to have somebody to help us come back to the center of the truth of God's will. No longer carried about every wave, carried about every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, which does not mean that you have to baby people. Speaking of the truth and the love does not mean that you have to treat everyone as a child, as a baby. Doesn't mean you have to sugarcoat everything. Doesn't mean that you have to never, ever, ever offend. If you're going to speak the truth in love, you're going to have to get pretty bold, in fact. You're going to have to get pretty bold speak the truth in love. And we are to grow up in all in all aspects. There is a lot expected of us. There is a lot expected of us. And to whom much is given, much is expected. But yet Extremely popular is the doctrine of this wicked and perverse generation. Wicked is the doctrine. Popular, popular, popular is the doctrine that all you got to have is love. And all that matters is love. And all that matters is that God loves you and you love God. And that's the only thing you're going to hear on Judgment Day. I love you. Come on in. But the Bible says that not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter in. And they would say, but, but we cast out demons in your name. We, we had power. We had supernatural power. We healed the sick. Laid hands on the sick and they recovered. Jesus would say, depart from me. I never knew you. You workers of iniquity. Workers of the nicotine. And nicotine means breaking the law. You who did not keep the seventh day, you who did not keep Pentecost, did not recognize the holy days of my kingdom, did not honor your king on the holidays of our kingdom, but rather you kept Christmas and Easter who honors Satan and said it was okay and that it honored God. And he did not honor God, but blasphemed God. No. Love is not enough. Not the word love, that is. But if you really love, that would be enough, yeah. Because if you really love, you would obey him. How can you say you love me if you keep not my commandments? How can you say you love me if you don't keep Pentecost? and Passover, and communion. If you don't want to drink 
my blood and eat my body spiritually, symbolically. How can you say that you love me when you refuse to partake of me and allow me to come in and suffer with you? How can you say you love me? You worker of iniquity, depart from me. That's going to be bold, offensive words. Amen. We need harsh preaching because that the two witnesses love you, that they're going to love you enough to speak the truth regardless of how much offense. Because we need a spiritual chiropractor to pop some necks and pop some bones, pop your back, realign your hips, realign your mind, Realign your heart and return the hearts of the children to the fathers and the father to the children. Amen. We are not there yet. These offices are still intact of apostles and prophets. Now this is the hard part. This is the more difficult part. Who pose those offices right now. Now, the two witnesses are not there yet. We know that. Elijah is dead. I no longer believe that our modern Pharisees hold that office. I don't believe that. For one thing, we don't have a temple anymore, a physical uh, stone-upon-stone temple in Jerusalem anymore. When Jesus said in Matthew that they sit, the Pharisees and the scribes sit in the seat of Moses, they had a temple, a physical building, temple at that time. We don't have that no more. So the Pharisees no longer sit in the seat of Moses. The offices of apostle and prophet has to be in the true church. People who worship Jesus, serve Jesus, teach Jesus' doctrine. That is where the deceit now rests, or works, rather. That is where the seat of Moses now works, is in the true church. And so, what Jesus had led me to proclaim is that Pastor AJ in South Korea and myself that we now stand in the seat of the two witnesses. That we are not the two witnesses. We have never claimed to be the two witnesses. We never will claim to be the two witnesses. We are not the two witnesses. And we are not trying to exalt ourselves and we are not trying to make money or get more followers. Well, not get fame. We're not trying to get fame. But yes, we are trying to get more followers. We are trying to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ with true doctrine and baptize people that there will be more souls added to the church. When I see people searching, for leadership, for guidance, for help, 
for somebody that can point them to true doctrine. I'm not going to be afraid to stand up and say, I am a servant of God and a fan of God. That I'm a friend of God. That I hear God's voice and I do speak for him. Pastor AJ and myself, we are foreshadowings of the real and true final two witnesses that are still yet to come. By proclaiming this, we can help people because people are searching for the two witnesses and they need direction. We can help them with that if we are not afraid to make this claim. And I know and I understand that there are going to be many people. I can see the emails now. I can hear the beep, 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 beep on my phone. Symbolically, spiritually, foreshadowing. I know it's going to happen. I know that. I know the persecution that is going to come. Hey, but it ain't going to be no worse than all the persecution I've already been enduring for all of these years. But I know, and Pastor AJ knows, that we're going to get hate mail, that we are going to get falsely accused of trying to say that we are the two witnesses, which is not what we're saying. We're just saying that we are currently the ones upon the earth that are in their seats. If you want direction, let us help you. Let us guide you. Let us point you. That's all we are, our messengers delivering mail, delivering the word of the Lord, which is pointing the way. We're not trying to make money. In fact, we will lose money. Amen. We're not trying to become famous, but there are people searching on the Internet that by, by claiming this truth, they'll be able to find this particular article, which I have already written up, which you can go and read today after the sermon or at your convenience, that has more on the article than what I'm sharing with you over the sermon. And take your time with reading it, examining it, and testing this in prayer and in fasting. What is the proof of our office? What is the proof that we are in the seat and foreshadowings of the two witnesses? Well, look at the Alpha and Omega Bible. For one thing, look at Alpha and Omega Bible. It is restoring the name of Jesus to the Old Testament. The Baptist Church ain't doing that. The Catholic Church is not doing that. The false two witnesses in Texas is not doing that. And then look at the prophecy of the strong delusion 
that the son of perdition, the president of Syria, is going to be in the temple of God, in the seat of God in heaven. I don't know of anybody else on earth who is proclaiming that. Anyone. And I have looked, and I have looked, and I have looked, and I have not found anybody saying that the president of Syria or even somebody else is going to sit in the seat of God in heaven in a fake coming of Jesus. I cannot find anybody else saying that. And what about the trinity of three men on the Temple Mount instead of two? Three. Have you heard that anywhere else? Nobody. You can look for it. You can look day and night. There's nobody else that I know of saying these things that have come from the mouth of the Lord. I'm not trying to brag or exalt ourselves, but we are claiming what God has said and wanting to help people who are looking for help. And if we shrink back in fear of what people are going to think of us, then we're not going to get anything accomplished at all. Nothing. We cannot live in fear about what people are going to think about us. Amen. I have got to fulfill my calling. And if I am called as a voice in the wilderness, then I've got to lift my voice. And how can I lift my voice if I will not stand up and say that I'm in this office? If you are a manager, as I used to be at McDonald's, or in a doctor's office or any kind of a business or Walmart or anything, and you're the manager of that business or the owner of that business, and you are too cowardly to stand up and claim your title, your office, and your authority. And you refuse all of that or any of that, even one of that. You are not worthy of that office. Amen? And how? You'll get fired. You will get fired. Amen, Sister Brittany. I don't want to get fired. I do not want to get fired. That would be the end of my life. I have got to claim my office. Pastor A.J. must claim his office. For God will replace us. God will replace us. We don't want that. We should not seek to be pleasers of men, but pleasers of God. Amen. I want you to turn... Romans 11. Romans chapter 11. 
Romans 11, verse 13. Romans 11, verse 13. Romans 11, verse 13. Paul says, But I'm speaking to you, who are Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentiles. I magnify my ministry. If you want to falsely accuse me of exalting myself, then you must, must also falsely accuse Paul of exalting himself. Paul said, I am an apostle. I am in this office as leader of over pastors, an apostle is a leader over pastors and over evangelists. And I magnify my ministry. King James said, my office. Paul said, I magnify this. He said, you want to know who to listen to? Listen to me. Paul said that the people received his word as not the word of men, but as the word of God, Paul said. I'm not here to write a book about my life. I'm not here to write an autobiography or to write about plumbing or any such thing. I'm here to exalt the Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Why must we claim these titles and these offers and this authority? It's to help the people that are looking and searching and in need until we all come into the unity of the faith and a true doctrine and a mature man until that is accomplished. Actually, only until the two witnesses arise, only until the two witnesses arise, and then we will step down. We're not going to quit our ministries, but we will step down from that office of worldwide apostles. We will still be apostles of our local church community, but we will step down from the office of being worldwide apostles. And you will not be able to find us anymore. Call us to Texas. We are going to disappear. We're not trying to exalt ourselves. We're getting ready to disappear. We're not trying to build a company to prosper and make billions of dollars and, and leave this company behind to our children. We are getting ready to step down and disappear. When the invasion happens, that's it. Now, the website hopefully will stay online. I don't know. I will leave it online, but after that, what happens to it is in God's hand. But on that day of invasion, 
Bye-bye, Pastor Tim. Bye-bye, Pastor Kim, Mr. AJ. And hello to witnesses. That we need leaders now. We can't wait for the two witnesses. Somebody has to fulfill this office now. Let's go to Matthew 23. But what about the verse that says, Call no man, teacher? Matthew 23, verse 6. Matthew 23, verse 6. Because I know I'm going to get this scripture in almost every email. Well, probably not, but some of the emails. Because most people don't even want to use scripture. That just throw insults at me, even without scripture. But some people will use this scripture. A lot of people will. Matthew 23, verse 6. Jesus said about the scribes and the Pharisees, they love the place of honor at banquets and the cheap seats in the synagogues. Well, personally, I like the back row when I was sitting in the Babylonian churches. Verse 7, and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. But do not be called rabbi. For one, it says here in your American Standards, one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. But that's actually a poor translation, because I double-checked this. And the Greek word is not the Greek word for teacher. It is the Greek word for Lord, master, ruler. And so in the Alpha and Omega Bible, in the latest update of just yesterday or today, because... I did go back and edit this one even after I did that newsletter. So if you did update your Alpha and Omega Bible on June 1st, when I sent that notification out on June 1st, that the Alpha and Omega Bible has been um, updated, you need to go back again. (laughs) Because Jesus is like, the wording, the translation of this right here needs perfection. So I edited a few words in this passage, this section here. So you need to go back and re-upload Alpha and Omega Bible. I'll try not to have you do this too often. But it does not mean teacher. Prepare the Greek words. It does not mean teacher. Jesus did not tell you that you don't need any teachers because that would go contrary to Ephesians 4 that I have brought unto you, gave in some as apostles, some as uh, prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, and some as teachers. Jesus would not say, don't call any man a teacher. He's saying don't call any man rabbi, for one is your Lord. That is what it should be translated as. Now what people don't realize about the word rabbi is it comes from the root word rab, rabbi. And rab 
is actually a old a, a old pale Hebrew word, a Hebrew word, true Hebrew word for God. It's not his name, but just a word for God. Like Theos is a word for God, but Theos is has more significant meaning, also meaning the Alpha and the Omega. But the Theos, Theos or Theos, however you want to say it, the V meaning uh, Alpha, the or the meaning Alpha, and the O or the Us meaning Omega, so the Alpha and Omega, so it means more than just God. But Rav just means Lord or God, more so actually God. So the rabbi was doing the same thing as the Pope, saying, I'm God on earth. That is what the Pope's say. I even double-checked it just a few days ago. And the popes do say they are God on earth. Just as the two popes will say when all three men, Assad and both popes, standing on the Temple Mount, which nobody else on earth is saying that I know of, those popes claim to be God on earth. And Assad claims that too because people are being beheaded in Syria for refusing to say that he is God above all gods. So the context is not men just being leaders. The context is men claiming to be God on earth. You've got to stay with that context. These men were claiming to be rather God on earth. Staying with that context, look at verse 9. Do not call anyone on earth your father. That's the Catholic Church. Why do they call the Pope's father? Because they claim to be the father on earth. They claim to be God on earth. One is your father who is in heaven. Now, in the brand new edition that you're going to upload, it says for father here, it gives the actual Greek word P-A-T-E-R. Again, it's P-A-T-E-R. Then it says Pope or father in Alpha and Omega because I gave three options. The actual Greek word and how it can be translated today in the Roman Catholic Church as well as the word father. All three is correct because I double-checked. I looked at what is the origin of the word Pope. And it said, from Greek, of Papa, from the same word used here. So it's saying, don't call any man Pope. And don't call any man your Heavenly Father, which is exactly what they are doing with the Pope. Then, in this context, he is warning against the Antichrist Jewish rabbi who's claiming to be God on earth, and now the Catholic Church leaders who claim to be God on earth. These are not men just claiming to be in the office of apostle. These are not men that just claiming to be in the office of, of, of speaking the word of God. 
or helping people or leading people. These are men that are claiming to be God on earth. This is what this is warning against. Then, the next verse, 10, it says, and here, don't call any man leader. I looked at the Greek word there, and the better translation, again, is Lord. Don't call any man Lord. Don't call any man your spiritual master. Don't call any man God on earth. Stand with the context. If you look at the writings of Paul and Peter, where it says that if you're a slave, you you're a servant, obey your master, serve your master, honor your master, all those things, it was calling them master. But call no man Lord. Context of this has nothing to do with don't call a preacher a preacher. Don't call a pastor a pastor. Don't call evangelist evangelist. Don't call a prophet a prophet. Don't call an apostle apostle. Has nothing to do with that. Nothing at all to do with that. Paul said, I am an apostle. When Paul said that, was he being disobedient to what Jesus said in this verse? No. He was not being disobedient. Amen. Now it says here in verse 11, but the greatest among you shall be your servant. And that's what the word minister means. Servant. A minister should be one that will wash your feet. Ministers will be one to help you, assist you. Verse 12. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. By who? By God. And who are we to say? Whether God has done it or whether man has done it. Just because somebody claims his office. Who ordains? Who chooses? Who calls? Not the man. It's God. I'm nothing compared to Jesus. But I'm not trash either. And I'm not going to trash myself just to win somebody's approval. But that's exactly what Babylon wants. Oh, I have been in Babylon. I have sit on that back row of the Babylonian churches and the Pentecostal churches. And any time that you exalt the word of God, it is you're being proudful. Sit down. You're exalting yourself. They love that accusation. 
I know how to submit myself. I have done it my whole life. But there has come a time when I've got to stand up, rise up, and fulfill your ministry as Paul told Timothy. One more verse, if I can find it. Or maybe two or three. <laughs> Let's go to 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 1. Two Timothy four, verse one. <clears throat> now the article that's on the website will give you more scriptures, and that's going to be at isawthelightministries dot com slash two witnesses, and it's the number two. Don't spell out the word. It's the number two witnesses dot html. And it's already online. You can check it out anytime now at your convenience. Now, 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. I solemnly charge you, Paul says to Timothy, because Timothy was leading a church congregation. And Paul said, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of his Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and by his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Remember, the office of apostle and prophet is to realign the spine of the church so that the people will not be children, so that people will not be tossed back and forth with every wind of doctrine, but to correct doctrine. That is the duty of the apostles and prophets, to correct doctrine of the church for they would not endure sound doctrine but wanting to have ears tickled wanting sugar-coated preaching wanting only certain things but not the truth they will accumulate keep for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires Paul does not say don't call no man teacher they said they are heaping to themselves the false teachers. In other places, several places, like the article we give you, it talks about right teachers and good teachers. Paul called him teachers, even called himself a teacher in one verse. Verse 4, and will turn away years, their ears from the truth. They will turn away their ears. They don't want to hear it from the truth. And will turn aside to myths. Christmas is a myth. Easter is a myth. Trinity is a myth. Pre-trib rapture is a myth. They would rather hear lies than the truth. They choose what to listen to, turning their ear away from the truth and turning their ears toward the myths, the lies. They choose what to listen to. Verse 5, but you, Timothy, you, be sober in all things, meaning in your mind, 
in your mind be controlled, be in control of your thoughts, be in control and endure hardship. If you're in the truth, you're going to endure hardship. And do what? Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. And fulfill your ministry. Verse 6, for I am ready, Paul said. I'm going to step aside, Paul said. But I'm ready being poured out. I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I'm going to step aside, Timothy. I've been teaching you, Timothy. I've been teaching you how to lead your church, how to lead your congregation, how to lead God's people. But Timothy, I'm going to pass the baton to you. That's what Paul said, basically, in different words. The time of my departure has come. Verse 7. I have fought the good fight. Yes, it is a fight when you are a true minister of God. It is a fight. And I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And in the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward to me in that day. <clears throat> not immediately upon death, but in that day. And not only to me, but also to all who loved his appearing. Now, the Lord Jesus put in my mind, my heart right now, the vision of the wall of fire when they crossed the Red Sea. And it was good to the congregation of Israel and bad to the Egyptians. And the appearing of the Lord will be bad at the battle of Armageddon to those who don't, do not love his appearing and, and fight and resist and turn their weapons toward him at the battle of Armageddon. They would not love his appearance. Even as they do not mourn over the death of the two witnesses. But we, on this day of Pentecost, which represents the catching up of the first fruits, the first harvest, not the only harvest, but the first harvest, the first fruits, which proves there's another harvest. Why have doubt? We are the first fruits, meaning there's going to be more. Amen. We love his appearing, and we celebrate his appearing, and we celebrate that today. And we will all finish our course, and we will fight the good fight. We will fight the good fight. If you're grown up enough to fight, stop being wimps and babies and grow up and fight like men of God and like the army of the Lord. 
I'm a general of an army. I'm like Sergeant Carter on what's the name of that show? Gomer Powell. Is that the name of the show? Yes. Yeah, Gomer Powell. Yes, UMC, USMC. Maybe all of you are too old for that show. I think Jason is shaking his head like he don't know what show I'm talking about. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, maybe put it up on YouTube, Gomer Powell. And he had a sergeant, Sergeant Carter, who yelled and he screamed and he was mean, bad sergeant. But Gomer loved Sergeant Carter. Sergeant Carter had a good, soft, tender heart. But Sergeant Carter had a job to do. And I've got a job to do. Amen. And I've got to get the army ready for war. or bloodshed, you're going to see things with your eyes you don't want to see. And I've got to get you ready for it. And I'm not going to get you ready for sugar-coated kisses. The day of the Lord is at hand. Spare not. Blow the trumpet. Tell my people their sins. Tell my people their sins. Amen. Praise God. We're going to go and dunk Jason in the lake. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. And rain wasn't that bad. Storms went around. They were scared of us. Amen. Praise Jesus. And uh, so we're going to go do what a special baptism on the day of Pentecost. Very special baptism. And we'll be back next week, next seventh day, and every seventh day. Until that month that I disappear. Be praying for Pastor AJ in South Korea. He's in a fight. Pray for Jason. She is in a fight. Pray for my wife, Brittany. She is in a fight. And pray for me. For I am in a fight. Amen. But we have a crown. If we do not draw back, if we do not give up, you have a crown. You're in a fight. You are in a war. You've got to learn how to fight back. So thank you for listening. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your patience. Thank you, Jesus, for your love and your patience. In Jesus' name, amen.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.